Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about retirement readiness, strategies to help you grow and preserve your wealth so that you get the most from life with the money you do have. Are you on track? John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. What's your plan for how you're going to be taken care of in your old age? Well, it's a difficult topic, which is why so many of us avoid even thinking about it and even worse, thinking about how we're going to pay for it. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is John Chapman. You found me at my weekly podcast talking about how you can not only grow, but also preserve your assets so that ultimately you can get the most from life with the money you do have. And long-term care insurance has been a topic that's long been on my heart. And I've recently been on a journey to educate not only myself, but also my clients so that they can understand how insurance can fit into their overall plan. And by far, this is one of the least understood areas of financial planning. There's, there's a lot of opportunity to learn about how long-term care insurance works and how it fits into your plan. And instead of just thinking that we're going to self-insure against uh, our old age healthcare expenses, we really need to be proactive and think about the reality of not just who's going to care for us, but how we're going to pay for that care. And in this episode, I talk with long-term care expert Mark Glickman, who helps to demystify long-term care insurance. And we talk about things like how much it costs and who should buy it, when should you buy it, how it can be used in the future. And just as a side note, my audio on this podcast is a little bit low, so you might have to turn up the volume on this, but be sure to listen to the full episode. I know you're going to get so much out of it. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Mark Glickman. Hey, Mark Glickman. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, you work in the long-term care space. It's uh, in financial planning. There's lots of areas that things like investments or estate planning get a lot of the coverage, but I think one area, unfortunately, that falls through the cracks is, is long-term care planning, frankly. And I know from working with clients over the past decade or so, it tends to be one of those things that uh, people don't know a lot about. There's a lot of assumptions about cost and how it's used. And so I'd really like to take the opportunity today to, to get some of your expertise and uh, give us a frame of reference. But before we dive too far deep in anything, tell me a little bit about how you got into this long-term care space to begin with. Yeah, I have a really unique background in that um, I'm an actuary by training, which means that I actually work for the insurance companies to help them price their products, decide how much they need to hold in reserves to pay out the ultimate claims. A lot of the financial aspects of the insurance business But in that role, I got to work with a lot of, I'll call it client-centric insurance agents and advisors out there that are looking for the best interest of their clients. And so I got to experience why they were using the products. And the bottom line is that it turns out, of course, everyone needs to have a plan for long-term care because everyone out there is living longer, healthier, but at those older ages, at some point, they're not able to take care of themselves any longer. And that's really what long-term care planning is all about. And that's where long-term care insurance can come in to the equation. So as you pointed out, there's a lot of kind of myths about the industry in terms of how much it costs or what the benefits are or what are the right types of solutions. And so hopefully today I can illuminate a little bit about this world to your audience. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, tell me a little bit about, on a personal note, I think I've seen in your bio that this has even touched your family. You've got some personal experience. So tell us just really briefly, how did this impact or how did this even come up within your own family? Yeah, well, I I was kind of born a little bit into the long-term care business. My dad was one of the pioneers of long-term care insurance. He designed some of the early uh, plans. And so I kind of was aware of long-term care from a young age, probably more so than most people. Um, And then in my family, uh, first in the 90s, uh, I watched my mom take care of her parents out of our house. Of course, at the time, I didn't really know what was going on. I knew that she had three siblings and they were always talking about who's going to take care of mom and dad. Um, I knew that they did not have long-term care insurance because they were Holocaust survivors. They were poor throughout most of their lives. My mom grew up in inner city Detroit. Um, and so they didn't really have a plan for this. So when it happened, it kind of, you know, threw us for a wrench. And I actually watched my mom when she took care of her parents, her health deteriorate. And so Mm -hmm. I had a personal experience from a young age. Um, now on my dad's side, he was the one, of course, that was the long-term care pioneer. His parents actually were one of the first agencies in the country to offer long-term care insurance. Not only that, they actually bought it for themselves. And when they became older, I actually watched when their long-term care insurance kicked in that they had a professional caregiver come into their home and take care of them. And that person actually kind of became a part of our family. Mm. And so, you know, you see both sides of it and it kind of brought awareness to me about the importance of planning and why insurance can add a lot of value. I like that. Give us some of the historical background, like bring us up to date. So how has long-term care insurance changed and morphed or maybe even improved over the past 10 years or so? Yeah, and I'll I'll kind of go back a little further, which was kind of the early days when my dad had started in the business and developed some of the first products. They didn't know a lot about what the ultimate life expectancies of people would be, how long people would actually hold on to the policies and pay the premiums, uh, how much in benefits that would get paid out ultimately. So they had to make some educated guesses based on the disability insurance world and the life insurance world, which had a longer track record. And it turned out that they actually underpriced the products, which was good at the time for consumers because they got a lot more benefits for a lower premium. But later on, you're seeing and you're hearing about rate increases on these older products, really to get them up to pricing that's more in line with what we're seeing today. So naturally, that leads you to think, well, that must mean that long-term care is quote-unquote expensive today. Right. Not necessarily. It's just appropriately priced. And when you look at how much ultimate benefits that you can still get, there's quite a bit of what I call insurance leverage available. And there's a lot of government incentives and um, you can get tax-free benefits, for example. And we'll talk about some of those that kind of uh, encourage people to get a plan in place. Ultimately, you're not really buying insurance to get necessarily a return on your investment. In fact, you hope to never use your policy because it means that you never needed long-term care. But the unfortunate reality is that a lot of people do use their policies. A lot of people do need long-term care. And with dementia and and other types of issues cropping up more and more commonly, sometimes you need it for longer. So it's important to plan for it. And that's where kind of insurance fits in in terms of how it's evolved a little bit. And maybe we can give some definitions around this too, because I can imagine some people don't quite understand how, uh, what, what long-term care covers, you know, where does Medicare stop and long-term care kicks in and yeah. what are some of those triggering events? So just from like a definition standpoint, can you give some more context to the long-term care area? Yeah. And so long-term care is what we call custodial care. So it's usually non-medical in nature. It's usually 
uh, somebody that's taking care of you because you can no longer perform your normal activities of daily living, okay. like dressing yourself, bathing, feeding. I have two young kids, so the way I think about it is they're learning all of those activities of daily living, and I'm watching them learn them. Well, yeah. as you get older, you kind of lose them in the opposite order in which you learn them. And you need someone else to help you perform those functions. Mm. It also covers you if you have severe cognitive impairment, such that you're a danger to yourself or the others around you, and, that, and you need constant supervision. So what it ends up being is that someone is there to either help you with those activities or provide you know, that oversight for you so you don't hurt yourself. And that tends to be expensive, especially when it lasts a number of years. Uh, most people's natural inclination is to say, well, I'm going to take care of my parents if they fall into that situation. Okay. That's a little bit of a slippery slope because at first when people don't need as much care, people, you know, the kids can take care of their parents, but as it gets more and more severe, all of a sudden it's a little bit of a trap because they feel like I'm the only one that knows mom and dad's needs. So I'm going to continue to provide this care. And then we see things like daughters selling their businesses, quitting their jobs because Ooh. they feel like it's their responsibility to take care of their parents when in fact there are other options out there and there are professionals that may be better equipped to do this. So that's the problem that we try to bring awareness to and help people avoid, you know, that's, that's going to happen to a lot of families. You bring up some really important points. I want to highlight that there are those, uh, those activities of daily living and they're, you know, in the insurance world, I know that they have those specifically categorized and you have to meet, you know, a certain number of them and so forth. But I think that's the, the important thing to bring up is that as folks are declining in health, and they're unable to do just those natural things, you know, between the, the time that you wake up in the morning until you leave the house, it's the, the showering or the eating and, you know, all these sorts of things, mm -hmm. putting on clothes. Um, that's a really important thing. And, and this is custodial care, like you said. I think the other thing is just this, this slippery slope type process where maybe you've got an aging parent and it it's just needs help uh, with a few things around the house. And then after that, it's a, a few, you know, help getting around. And then all of a sudden, you as maybe as, the, as a caretaker have signed up for something that is requiring a lot more of your time and energy and money than maybe you initially foresaw. So how big of an impact is this having on families and you know, how many people are, are being impacted by this? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge issue out there. Um, one study said that there are today 44 million family caregivers. Generally speaking, they're the sons, the daughters, the spouses of people that need care, Amazing. which if you think about that, that's one out of every six adults. So I go into rooms, you know, large, you know, uh, conferences and rooms, and I think about looking around me, a lot of these people in here are currently caregivers. Amazing. And, and probably key, unpaid caregivers at that. Probably unpaid caregivers. And, you know, it's not about buying insurance necessarily. The first step is to understand the process and to come up with a plan. So you're not surprised because that's what's really disruptive, especially amongst, let's say, the siblings. And that's where you, you get a lot of families that kind of have a lot of negative you know, fight, infighting because they don't agree on how to take care of mom and dad. So having a plan in place, setting expectations as to here's what we're going to do. We've all agreed upon it. That's really the first step. Where the insurance comes in is it's a financing mechanism okay. for that plan, for the professional caregivers to get care in the right settings and in the right way. And it provides a foundation uh, to do that. You'd asked earlier about Medicare, and that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions out there is people think that, well, when I turn 65, I'm eligible for Medicare, which is health insurance, and that's gonna cover me. But it turns out that Medicare does not cover 
to a large degree custodial care. In fact, on your social security form in bold print, there's a paragraph that basically says, <laughs> Medicare is not gonna cover long-term care, so you may wanna consider private insurance. The government yeah. is trying to tell you that it's not their responsibility, and so you really have to come up with your own plan for financing this too. Yeah, well, it, as a financial planner, it's music to my ears to hear you uh, say that this really starts as a planning conversation, and I think you're 100% correct, and, and I can hear people saying, well, when do we do that, how do we do that, and I guess that's between you and your financial advisor in your specific situation, but I think that just helps to reinforce the importance of having these conversations and knowing when these life transitions may occur, so, um, you know, it's, and it's unlikely that people are always going to nail it necessarily, but just know um, that before having the insurance conversation, it's a planning conversation. But um, I want to go back to something you said, which is talking about just the leverage piece. You know, there's a there's one frame of reference is that this is a you know quote unquote an expensive sunk cost on the insurance. But I think you've got another way of looking at it. So I guess let's walk through um, even some numbers or how you think about getting leverage out of the long term care. Yeah, I try to kind of go back to fundamentals. And this is how I would personally get my own plan or my family or my friends plans. I think of it the same way. The things that you want to avoid are a you want to be able to qualify for the best plans that are available to you. That's the first thing to keep in mind. Okay. And so when you ask like, when should somebody plan? Generally, my answer is as soon as possible, not because I'm selling them something. It's because generally speaking, that's when they have their most of their options available to them. That's a great point. And if you wait too long, which is a tendency, especially if you don't know about long-term care or long-term care insurance, if you wait until you have a health issue, for example, all of a sudden you just don't get as much value out of the policy because the insurance company knows that too. And so they're pricing it accordingly. Um, so that's the first thing is health is kind of what buys you or, or it gives you the, that entry into the, the best types of plans. The second thing that I look at is, um, how much makes sense to fund in a plan? Like if you were gonna self-fund this, for example, how much money could you comfortably set aside after you consider your retirement expenses and other things that you're gonna need uh, before maybe you come across the long-term care issue? And I usually tell people to start there. Uh, it's a little bit uh, contrarian, I'll say. Uh, most insurance agents and advisors do a good thing. They, they assess the needs of your situation sure. and they'll come up with, here's how much benefits you would need if you had an extended severe long-term care event to protect your assets. Well, that oftentimes leads people to a price point that they feel uncomfortable about right. and which gives them the impression that this is too expensive. Gotcha. In reality, you can buy a pool of benefits based on how much you're actually spending. Mm -hmm. And if you bought a $100,000 pool, that might be right for some families. Buying multiple millions of dollars might be right for other families. That's correct. And so knowing how much you want to put into that plan is a key to figuring out what can you buy. Now, at the end of the day, to your point, insurance leverage, what we do as insurance specialists is we try to figure out based on how you're funding and how much you're funding, how do we make your dollar go as far as possible? Okay. And so if we can get you 10 times the amount of protection as to what you put in in premiums, that's the objective. And at that point, what you'll do is you'll compare that to other types of funding vehicles or investments or other things. What you'll generally find in today's low interest rate environment where quote unquote safe money, bonds, other types of investments that are comparable more to insurance in terms of the credit risk aspect of it, you'll find that insurance tends to provide more leverage at the end of the day, because again, it's not gonna pay you out like an investment. It's not designed necessarily to be a return on your money. It's designed to be there if you need it and you hope to never have to use it. 
So walk us through a little bit more of the mechanics of it, because I understand that there is some structure into once an event is triggered, let's say, you know, a loved one or heaven forbid, even you, you know, you own this policy. At some point you've triggered, you're in custodial care, you've got the activities of daily living, you know, some of them have been mm -hmm. checked off the box and you're actually drawing from this. Um, what's the parameters like dollar amounts per day and years that it can extend? Right. Okay. So there's a lot of different options and this is kind of where the marketplace has evolved in a good way in that there's a lot of different types of solutions these days. Okay. Um, the traditional long-term care, so kind of the original approach, a lot, of still pe a lot of people still use it today. The way it would typically work is that most of those policies have what's called a 90-day elimination period, which is a time-based deductible, which means that you're going to pay the first costs out of pocket for the first 90 days. But after you pay those costs, your policy kicks in and it starts paying and it can pay for years, three years, five years. There's still even a policy out there that has lifetime unlimited coverage, and which is really what wow. you're buying it for is that if you had that very extended event, like a dementia type of event, and you never want to have, you know, that policy run out of coverage, that might be a good solution for that particular family. Okay, so the time frame of years, that's something you decide upon when you're, when you're originally writing this contract to begin with, the three years or the five-year time frames. Correct. So there's a couple of different parameters that you have to choose from. There's that deductible I mentioned. There's how much the policy pays, either daily or monthly, when the claim occurs. Okay, so it's going to pay up to a policy limit. Um, and then it's going to have a certain duration to it. Okay. The fourth factor that comes in is that oftentimes there's escalators, uh, compound inflation protection that's built into the benefits. So even though you buy a certain amount of coverage today, as you go out in time, because you probably won't use the policy for 20, 30, maybe even 40 years, the benefits will increase along with the cost of care okay. that's also increasing with inflation. And so based on those four parameters, again, working with a long-term care insurance specialist, they can figure out which, which, which lever to move that's going to maximize the amount of benefits for your situation that's going to matter to you the most versus what you're putting into the plan in terms of the premium cost. And I know we had talked about offline briefly, but it sounds like, as you were mentioning, that uh, products you know, have really changed. This is really a specialized and unique place. But um, yeah. I can hear some folks, maybe even just in my own head, thinking, well, you know, is, uh, are the premiums that I'm paying, is there, are there any type of hybrids where I can have uh, some other benefit attached on to the, the long-term care so I don't completely lose yeah. you know, uh, my, the premiums that I paid? Exactly. And that's kind of what's become more popular over the last few years is exactly what you described. It's called a hybrid policy. And the reason it's called that is it combines two different types of coverage together. Generally speaking, it's a life insurance policy with a long-term care component to it. Uh, it could also be an annuity with a long-term care component to it. And it gives a little bit of a different value proposition, which is that if you never use the long-term care benefits, it actually provides your family, your beneficiaries, with a death benefit or with a, a cash value of some sort. So the worst case scenario when you buy those products is that you get your money back, which is a very appealing thing on the surface. Now comparing traditional and hybrid products, you know, they do kind of work for different clients and you could even do them in combination with each other, but there are trade-offs. Uh, the traditional products typically will provide you more of that insurance leverage because they don't provide the return. Whereas sense. the hybrid products will provide you more stability. They'll have guaranteed premiums to them. Um, there won't be as much leverage, but it'll be better than usually the investment, the safe money investments we talked about, but then you have that residual value. 
And so for different people, they prefer the different options and how they're funded also leads you to different solutions, you know, based on the structure, whether it's a, a long-term care structure, which is based on health insurance or whether it's a life insurance based structure and they have different tax advantages gotcha. and things like that too. One thing you've talked about in a previous conversation too is how uh, small business owners have some unique options in terms of if they're purchasing long-term care insurance. So talk to us a little bit about how that's different from other employees. Yeah, and, and this can work with either the traditional plans that are health insurance based or the life insurance based plans, depending on which product is used, where um, long-term care is treated like health insurance, which means that the IRS lets you pay the premium through the business and treat it like a business expense. Now, the unique thing about long-term care is that not only can you take the deduction, but you're also generally allowed to get the benefits received tax-free still. Hmm. And so when you're thinking about funding this out-of-pocket versus through your business, there's very little downside to using the business to fund this, but a lot of people, that tax deduction is very valuable to them. Wow. Uh, it's very flexible in how it works. You can include your spouses on the plans, and you can even what's called carve out specific individuals in the business who you want to offer it to. You don't have to offer it to everybody. So the business owner can simply write a document that says the CEO is only eligible for this long-term care insurance plan, take the deduction. And again, it's going to be a really nice way to fund that particular uh, solution for them. Hmm, yeah, that sounds interesting because I'm sure there are some red tapes that make me think, you know, in the area of like 401ks, there's lots of parameters and such, but you're saying here, regardless of the size of the business, I mean, this could be a two person or a 200 person, uh, quote unquote, small business. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that the CEO has a lot of flexibility. Yeah, you know, uh, the uh, IRS, to their credit, the government does not want you to need long-term care either, because if you end up exhausting all of your funds and you have no assets remaining, then you might qualify for Medicaid, which is really you know a, a program for the poor. Now it turns out most people ended up Medicaid because they paid for long-term care out of pocket. That's a very yeah. common reason, and so they actually have these incentives. And yes, they do allow you to exempt to not have to run what's called discrimination testing like you do for other employee benefits. They've actually made long-term care. They've excluded it from that. So you can offer it, you know, uh, basically to who you want to. You just have to define who that group is. Um, and a lot of companies will actually do a, a plan for the owner and their spouses. They might also do it for key executives. And so mm -hmm. we see that a lot where they're offering it as like an executive perk, mm -hmm. uh, another benefit that's uh, a tax advantage benefit in the work site. I love that. That makes me think a little bit about a health savings account in HSA because then like this, you're saying the uh, business owner gets to take the tax deduction as a business deduction and then the benefits come out tax free. So that is yeah. an awesome feature. I appreciate you telling me about that. Well, it's, fu it's funny that you mentioned HSAs because one thing that another thing that long-term care can do that a lot of people don't know about is you're actually allowed to use your HSA dollars to pay Ooh. for the premium pre-tax. Wow. and also get the benefits tax-free. So another funding vehicle cool uh, that you can use, but there are limitations. So keep in mind, talking to a long-term care specialist is really important. How you structure it, what are the caps on how much you can take out of your HSA or maybe even for your business, that's where you'll want to work with a, an expert in that space. So for those listening that, let's say they've saved a decent amount up, they feel like they've got uh, more than enough to cover their living expenses in retirement, and they're saying to themselves, well, I've already got X number of, let's say, million dollars saved, um, and I'm just going to self-insure. What, what, what would even be the benefits or the value to me and my family if I feel like I've got enough money saved to still include long-term care as part of my plan? 
Right. And, and the first thing I would say is kudos to you for coming up with a plan, right? Like we said, that's the most important thing. If you're going to self-fund and you're going to dedicate money to this and put that aside to make sure that your kids don't have to go through that ordeal, I think that's the first step. You know, uh, 90% of people don't even take that step. So good job there. The second thing though is what I would say is look at how much you're actually funding into that vehicle and compare it to the insurance policy and have a specialist, a long-term care specialist, show it to your options uh, because there's a number of things you can do. One is that you may decide that you want to build kind of a foundation. You don't have to, it's not an either or equation. You can self and fund, but you could, you could self fund either just the beginning part of the risk or even the catastrophic risk while using the insurance policy to provide the foundation and the guidance for your family when you go on claim. So if you need it, you actually have the benefits in the policy. And if you don't need it, again, you're kind of hedging it by, by having that fund that you can release those monies for other purposes for your family. So it's, like I said, the self-funding equation, it's a good line of thought and you should compare it to your insurance, but it doesn't mean that one precludes the other. And you said too that um, the quality of your health has a lot to do with the, the premiums. And so you said, you know, you can start even planning for this or thinking about it as at a relatively young age, but what are some of the norms? What's the median age, I guess, of when people typically buy a long-term care plan? Yeah. So the, the median age is 57 years old. So it typically is uh, right, you know, a few years before retirement when people start to think about this. Um, but again, it's a wide range. There are people that I know that plan as young as their 30s or 40s. Again, if they're aware you know, of that need to do that and if they have the income that they wanna put aside to do that. And there are people that wait, um, but it's never too late either to plan. It's just that you know, the value is gonna be a little bit different. The leverage is gonna be different and you have to be more cognizant of the fact that you have to be careful about what you apply for from a health perspective. Um, so I would say if, I was doing it, I would say, look at it, you know, as soon as you can, but don't be afraid that you've missed your window on it um, because there's always options. Now, even for people that, for example, have significant health issues, there are alternatives to long-term care available as well. And Ooh. so again, there's probably about four or five different types of products where after your specialist does a health fact finder with you, they'll know which type of product you'll qualify for. And then you can take a look at, at that product based on its own merits, but they're not good or bad. Again, if you're really healthy, you're probably gonna get the most leverage, but if you're not healthy, you're probably gonna have that need sooner anyway. So it's more relevant for you as well in that situation. Hmm. How do consumers get in touch with a long-term care specialist? What resources are out there? Yeah. And that's kind of the magic question. There are a lot of people out there that have years and years of experience doing this, that work in this business full time. We've actually created a network of them. Uh, it's our website at www.buddyins.com, B-U-D-D-Y-I-N-S.com. And really we're a community of long-term care experts. Uh, my role is actually to kind of be the, the face of this, to help people connect with the right specialist. Um, in today's world, you actually don't have to be geographically close to that insurance person. Like we're doing a podcast and we're on, you know, we do Zoom videos together and things like that. That specialist can actually work with you if they're in Maine and you're in California, as long as they're licensed in your state. So that means that we have all of the experts kind of at our disposal across the country. And that, that allows us to actually find people that are a good match for clients out there and their unique needs. 
That's great. That's a good resource. So I'm glad that you're doing that, Mark. And then just for, lastly, what are the expectations for underwriting? How long does it typically take? And what are the policies and procedures once somebody feels like they, they're meeting with a specialist and they want to go through that process of going through an application? What does it look like? Yeah, we put a lot of emphasis, as you could tell, on the health aspect of this and underwriting and doing things sooner rather than later. Um, but actually, the underwriting process is not very cumbersome uh, with long-term care. And if you plan, let's say, in your 50s, probably about 85, 90% of people do qualify for the best plans. So don't think that it's not for you. Um, they are still pretty wide-ranging with what, what they can take. The process itself, though, is that the insurance company is going to request from your, provi your doctors, your providers, your medical records, okay. and they're going to check all your prescriptions. Okay, so those are the two fundamental things that the insurance company needs to do. And for that reason, sometimes it takes a while for them to get all the medical records from the providers and signing HIPAA forms and things like that. Okay. It can take about four to eight weeks to complete the process. Okay. But believe it or not, most of that time is just waiting for the mail to arrive and getting the medical records in the door. Okay. And then the client, from the client's perspective, they actually don't do invasive things usually. So it's not like they're taking blood or urine or anything like that. Okay. What they're usually doing is they're doing an interview with you. So they'll usually do a phone interview if you're 65 or younger, a 20-minute interview, and they'll just kind of like verify the things that you put on your application, ask you more questions about it. But literally, that's really all you experience as a client for most people is a 20-minute phone interview, and then you wait four to eight weeks, and then they tell you that you got approved, hopefully, working with a specialist like we talked about, and then it's actually a pretty smooth uh, experience. Mark, this is terrifically helpful. Thank you so much for shedding a light on what can be a murky topic. Is there anything else that's on your mind that you'd like to bring up that we haven't yet discussed? No, I mean, I think you hit upon all of the major issues and hopefully people out there are getting awareness as to what this world is really like. Uh, again, if you work with a, a professional that's looking out for your best interests, you will find a plan that's good for you. Um, so again, uh, feel free to talk to John here. Feel free to come to our website and we'd love to help you. Awesome. Mark, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time and hope to chat with you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks, John. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.